Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is going on, Real Sports fam? Welcome to the Real underscore sports podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. On episode five, we are going through the NBA draft. We're going to talk mock drafts. We're going to talk NBA lookouts for all these rookies and we're going to cover the mike conley trade let's get it down goes frazier auburn's gonna win the football game auburn's gonna win the football game hurry way down to gives it to jenkins What's going on, everyone? I'm your host, Jack Settleman from Real Underscore Sports on Snapchat, a 1 million follower page that covers all things sports. Give it a follow if you haven't. And with me today is my co-host and longtime best friend, Abe Granoff. Abe, how are we doing tonight? Jackson, we're doing well. Big episode ahead. Uh, We got the draft coming up tomorrow. A lot of these kids are going to hear their name called, walk across that stage, and live out that dream that I was robbed of as a child. You really were robbed of it. There's nothing like a uh, a, a slow six footer. So let's get into your draft profile for the real sports fam. Let's, let's give them. A I resent that, by the way. <laughs> uh, so from Pennsylvania State University, Abe Granoff is a six foot shooting guard, weighing in at around 175 pounds. A sharp shooter from the outside, loves to get out in transition, find the open man with his solid vision, plays plays strong defense. Will be there on the help side. His one weakness in the game, I would say, is to create his own shot. He struggles at times. Definitely uh, projects better as a number two and an off-ball scorer. Abe, what do you think of your player profile? I think you hit my strengths on on the head. Uh, I really like to thrive in a pace, space, and defend type offense. Now, I noticed that you pointed at my lack of ability to create my own shot. Whether or not I agree with that is a different story, but I'm just going to put that in my back pocket add that to my arsenal and come back better. And we've discussed it before, but who was your player comp for the league? Because everyone gets one. Well, I might have said on episode one, Draymond Green, (laughs) just because of my will to win, um, my do-it-all type game. But we're going to start moving away from that and giving me a more score-heavy. I think my game translated in this draft to a guy like R.J. Barrett, but we'll just whoa, have to wait and see. Whoa. But anyway, but no anyway. Way I'm giving you the praise of the best player in the draft and my future New York Knicks. All right, all right, all right. Let's take a look at Slim Biscuit himself over here, the six foot one, 170-pound combo guard with a very slim frame out of the University of Texas, Jack Settleman. Now, I really like how his style of play translates to the next level. He's smart with the ball, poised in pressure situations, and can control the pace of the game. When the opponent's playing checkers, Slim Duncan over here is playing chess and always thinking one step ahead. He keeps the ball on a string and will torch defenses in the open court. Now at the next level, he's going to need to become a more consistent jump shooter if he's going to play a little bit off the ball. He's also going to need to find a nice strength and conditioning program in the league so he can finish over stronger defenders in the paint rather than just using his finesse at the paint. 
Look for this kid Settleman to come in and have an immediate impact off the bench, similar to what we're seeing in Dallas with Jalen Brunson. Now, that was a text I just read from ESPN's Jonathan Giovanni. Um, so if you don't like it, don't shoot the messenger. But what are we thinking about that? I mean, the effort you put into that, I really applaud it. I respect it. I'm disappointed because on episode one, I got a Lonzo Ball uh, comparison, who was a number two pick, and now I'm already dropping to a Jalen Brunson. I love Jalen's game. I'm a righty. He's a lefty. Uh, I agree with the shooting. Uh, everyone knows my layup package is, is quite finessable. But I, I do need to put on the muscle. Dude, dude, I I just said that I got a text and you're blaming me for this. If you want me to write one, I'll write one. We can do that next episode. Right, let's move on. But don't shoot the messenger. Let's move on. I hope you guys enjoyed our draft profiles. But let's move on to the real talk of the NBA draft. Let's just get started with the number one pick. It's going to be Zion Williamson. He's going to add to that young core in uh, New Orleans. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, what, what's everyone's thoughts on him? We've never seen a guy like this before. He's like a he's a gravity breaking athlete. He's got an all around skill set. He's poised to be one of the next superstars and potentially the face in the NBA. Um, I think the only knock you can give on this kid is his jump shooting ability and how it can translate. But it's not like we didn't see him shoot anything at the University of du- at Duke University. Um, he was still taking it. He was hitting the occasional threes. And with repetition, I think that'll come. You just can't teach this kind of athleticism. You can't teach that defensive end of a body. I mean, he averaged 23, 9, 2 assists, and when, what was he, 71% efficiency rating? Like, this guy's got superstar written all over him, uh, a better Blake Griffin, a better Charles Barkley. I mean, he's going to be rookie of the year. I think he'll have great success in the NBA. I love the situation he's going to in New Orleans, assuming he goes there. We've seen crazier things happen. But, yeah, I mean, if if there's a knock on this player, then I think you're just reaching. I mean, he's a bit undersized for his size. Like, what do you – where do you play? Oh, my God. I'm not even trying to knock him. I'm asking because, like, you know, people give him the Charles Barkley comparison, but I don't see him as a Barkley guy. I see him more as, like – his peak level, his ceiling is if he gets a three-point jumper and can be a slasher. If Khalil Mack was on a basketball court, he would be Zion Williamson. Yeah, I think I think so. I think he'll be a very good player. So everyone knows about the top three prospects. It's it's Zion, it's Ja, and it's R.J. Barrett. And you have a bone to pick about Ja in a little bit. But let's just start with out of those three, rank those three and their professional careers. Because I believe that R.J. is the best player in the draft. I genuinely believe that it's not biased because he's going to be a Nick. It's just my genuine belief. I think he's a 25 a game scorer four years down the road. I think he has, he's shown he can shoot the ball. He just needs to work on a little technique. He is defending will always be questionable. I think if he locks in, he can become an improved defender, but he just seems to have that mentality that sli- I, I love his slipperiness, the lefty, you know, all of that together. And that that's not a knock on either of the other two players. I just think RJ is the best one. And I think Morant will be close. No, no, I don't hate that at all. Um, To me, it's Zion, RJ, and then Ja in that order. And I think RJ and Zion will each be a number one option on a championship contending team. But in order to tell who's going to have the better career, I think that's all dependent on situation. Um, You see so many talented players being in the wrong situation in today's NBA. And you just think like, wow, if you put them in the right situation, they could be first team all NBA, 
and thrive and be a lock for a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, RJ's talent is unmatched. I mean, if he wasn't paired with Zion, who knows if he would be going number one or if Zion would. Uh, it just so happened that Zion was his teammate. He's just a physically gifted scorer. He's been winning his entire life. He had a successful high school career in Canada, and then he went on to Duke. Uh, obviously, the season didn't end how they thought it would, but there's just a lot of things about this kid that you can't teach. Uh, he grew up at, with Steve Nash as his godfather. I just saw an interview the other day how he would call him Uncle Steve and be like, yo, Uncle Steve, what's Kobe doing? What's Kobe doing? When he would see Nash play Kobe. Um, and he stands by – Steve Nash stands by R.J. Barrett. I think he's going to be a tremendous player. And I obviously am huge on Zion, just like the rest of the world with any capable brain cells. But let's move on to John Morant. Uh, he's very interesting to me. He didn't play in a powerhouse program. He made a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament. He's shown every bit that he can succeed on the next level. Uh, we're hearing a lot of Russell Westbrook comparisons in terms of um, his rebounding ability, his assist ability, his scoring ability. can score at all three levels. But the one thing we haven't heard of is the five turnovers a game that Ja Morant was averaging in college. That's His decision-making will need to improve at the next level if he wants to have a successful career. Um, I th- he's going to, we're assuming he's going to go to Memphis. Uh, they just did had, shook up their team a bit with this trade and trading Conley. So clearly he's going to be their number one guy going forward. But just like I said before, you got to give him the right situation. I think the sky's the limit for the top three. And then I think after that is truly when the draft starts at number four. I don't think you need to turn the draft on for the first 15 minutes. You can finish up your dinner. You can do the dishes. And then once the fourth pick rolls around, be locked and loaded, ready to go on the couch. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're just three great players. And every year in the draft, you expect the top three to be great. And I'm you point to Morant's turnover rate. I just think his usage was so high. And yes, you should never be turning the ball over five times a game. But averaging 20 and 10 for the first time or one of the first times in college history is just like, it's special. He's a special player. Uh, as as much as I think RJ's going to be the best player in the draft long term, I think because, of, like you mentioned, situation, I think Morant's going to win Rookie of the Year. I think that Zion's game is not going to be polished coming in. I think Jaw's usage in Memphis, now that Conley's gone, is going to be so high. And I just think that RJ's, uh, RJ's going to put up solid numbers on the Knicks, but I think his shooting percentage is going to be low because he's going to be such a focus and he's going to be more focused on scoring while Morant can kind of pad his stats with assists. Who are you picking? I assume you're picking Zion? Zion as my rookie of the year? Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, and Anthony Davis being traded away from the Pelicans only solidifies my choice. I think bringing in Lonzo Ball, bringing in Brandon Ingram, bringing in Josh Hart, um, they're going to get out and run. And we saw how lethal Duke was last year on the fast break and what Zion's like in the open court because I think you can count on one hand the amount of players in the country last year that were going to step in front of him in the open court. I think Alvin Gentry's a great coach. Will Him and Lonzo will thrive together, assuming Lonzo's um, healthy enough. And you just pointed to – you you would point it to the usage rate of Ja Morant at Murray State and why his turnovers were so high. But then you went on to say how you think he's going to be rookie of the year because his usage rate will be just as high in Memphis. Yeah. Which lends me to believe that his turnovers will be just as high and his assist to turnover ratio will be down. And he has to become a better decision maker with the ball. 
Um, I don't think Zion will have the ball in his hands nearly as much. I mean, that's a, that's a fact. And he'll be able to thrive off the ball and use his body and will his team. And I think the Pelicans are one of the most interesting teams coming into next year. And I think Zion will inevitably be the rookie of the year. Cool. I, I mean, it's tough to pick against the number one pick, uh, but I don't blame right. me for that. So let's start just like picking apart some prospects that we, we wanted to talk about. Um, so as you know, I was I saw Cam Reddish today. I got a pick with him and Jason Tatum, which was pretty cool. You're high on Reddish, and I really want to be high on him. He was a top five recruit in this class. He has like that frame, the three and D sniper shooter, but he put up historically low numbers at Duke where he was a third option and actually should have been getting the most open jump shots he might ever get in his whole life. Uh, what like what gives? Listen. You just said it best. He was the third option on the team. And this is going to sound crazy, but you've known me my whole life, Jack. I'm not a numbers guy. I like to watch with my eyes and make my decision based off what I'm seeing on the court. And I think that Cam Reddish's talent is something that is unmatched. Um, I think he's going to be an elite scorer at the next level. He's got a seven-foot wingspan. will be able to switch on every position um, on defense. I think his ceiling could be a Paul George-type player with just an elite scorer on one end and an elite defender on the other. Now you mentioned how his efficiency rating was brutal in college because he was the third option. And I'm going to keep going harp on that point that he was the third option. These types of players that go to Duke and go to the, the Kentuckys and the UNCs of the world, they've been their whole life accustomed to being that one guy on their team. Who's just give me the ball, get out of the way and we'll win. Now you take Cam Reddish. Yeah, but- who, but Reddish won't be that guy at the next level, at least in in the first I'm few saying, years. I'm career. saying that's why you saw his efficiency ratings drop off in college is because he was the third option. Who's to say that with a scoring ability like that, he can't be the number one option on a team? He's 6'8", 210 pounds, the seven-foot wingspan. He can rise up over defender and shoot. And his natural ability is just a knockdown shooter. Sure, he was the third option on that team, but it's just the thought of when is that ball going to come to me with a guy like Zion and RJ with, and you can't say nobody was paying attention to Cam Reddish because that team, you literally had to guard three players and that was it. And we yeah. saw flashes of what Cam Reddish could be um, throughout that Duke season. Personally, I remember that Florida state game winner in those very, very tough black uniforms on the road. And I just think he's going to have a very successful career at the end. Um, I like him going eight to the Atlanta Hawks. I think you pair him with a guy like Trey Young, who you can't leave open anywhere on the court, or he can. But you're tor- saying you're telling me that uh, you know he's going to be the leading scorer, but Trey's going to be the scorer on that team, and then Collins can score in Horder. So like that doesn't. Right, even, but, and you're talking right, about Cam fit. Reddish is going to come in. No, no, no. Cam Reddish is going to come into a situation on a crappy team in the top, I say eight picks of the draft. I think he can go anywhere from six to eight. And these teams, even though they're not going to win a lot of ball games, are going to rely on him to be their one or two guy. Um, Cam Reddish, I mean, Trey Young would be able to create a lot for Cam Reddish. And I just, I use my eyes when I watch these guys. And Cam Reddish has talent that you can't teach. I agree. I love his frame. I like the way his fluidity and his jump shot is very, very clean. Um, I do like him. I'm rooting for him to be good because I think he he can be a good player, but I'm just nervous. Like, like you said, he is used to being the number one guy. And that's probably why he had problems getting in a rhythm jump shooting. 
But that's what happens when you're not one of the top guys. You go to these teams and you're supplementary player. And if if you can't do that, he'll be out of the league before he even has the chance to develop that. I game. think I think uh, his he's going to be able to come in. I think the Duke experience he had being that third guy was a humbling experience. He learned what it was like maybe not to be that number one guy. And once he gets a, a shooting coach in the NBA, he can become a lethal shooter and do everything else in the court and I think his the sky's the limit for this kid, and I'm going to go on record to say I'm guaranteeing Cam Reddish will be a multiple-time All-Star. Wow, that's high praise for a guy who was literally setting records for, for missed jump shots. Let's, let's flip to the other side of missing jump shots and go with my – I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily call him a sleeper, but I just, I'll call him a sleeper because I think he might fall out of the top ten. But my favorite player in the draft, not the best, my favorite player is Brandon Clark. He missed less uh, shots last year than he had shots blocked. He averaged three blocks a game. Uh, he shot like seventy percent from the field. He's just he seems like someone who's going to come into the league and be perfect with his athleticism, his ability to rebound, his ability to score. And the one thing he's missing is that jump shot. And out of everything for a number four or a number five is like you can kind of learn. You can add that jumper. He shot 27 percent from three. He only attempted like 15 of them, but he's shooting 70 percent from the line, which is a solid clip. And, and he's going to come into – I like players who can come in with athleticism, but more importantly, the ability to defend and block shots and make impact plays and and rebound. Just do the simple stuff, and then you can add on to your game and constantly improve. I just get worried with some of these big prospects that they'll, they'll fail out of the league before they get the chance to add to their game. I think Clark can be a, a stay in the game. And if someone like – uh, I mean, if Charlotte picked him at 12, that would be a great spot for him. Honestly, any team, Boston could take him at 14. Minnesota, I wouldn't love to see him there with uh, Taj Gibson and Cat, but anyone really in the t- in the lottery to get Brandon Clark, I would be excited about. Who's who's your uh, who's your sleeper? Well, I, I just want to touch on Brandon Clark a little bit. Um, I really like that pick, and that might be one of the few times Jack and I agree on something, but just to I like what you said about how you like players when they come out of college who can do all the little things because at the end of the day, if you get a shooting coach with you in the NBA, it's all about repetition and you can easily develop that, that three point jump shot such like Ben Simmons will eventually. But we've seen (laughs) it happen with Kawhi Leonard who his shooting coach said, all right, let's start two feet out, four feet out, six feet out, free throws, et cetera. Brandon Clark's a super versatile defender, um, he came from a winning program at Gonzaga, so he knows how to win. He's a team first player. I really do like that pick, but I'm going to go my sleeper with a guy that I don't think many people know about being that you didn't watch much Belmont basketball. And that's Dylan Windler. This kid was a four year senior at Belmont. Uh, he improved his three point. He's a four year senior. You can be a five year senior. He wasn't a four-year starter, but he was a senior for four years. I'm not sure if he started or not, but stop interrupting so I can tell you why he's going to be the next of Peja Stojakovic. All right, go for it. Sorry. This kid averaged 21. He's six foot seven and a half. He's a two-three guard with a six-ten wingspan. He can lock up at the next level. You saw his shooting percentage from three go up year after year to where he was shooting above 40 percent um, in his senior year at Belmont with a 65% efficiency rating from the floor. And I just think this kid is the prototypical player that you need on a championship team. 
Uh, I'm not saying he could go and be the number one guy, but the type of guy that you bring in, maybe that we saw with Fred Van Fleet in Toronto, who's going to go late in the first round, even though Van Fleet didn't get drafted, but you know what I'm trying to get at, who can go in and give you an efficient 15 minutes off the bench in high-pressured situations. Um, I I think his game resembles a lot of Joe Ingles, but he's a way more versatile defender and way longer who can switch on other defenders. And look out for Dylan Windler at the next level. Uh, I'd be happy if you like him on. Excuse me? Any team you would like to see him on specifically? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it would hurt to see him in against the Sixers, but I think a team like Milwaukee is very interesting at 30. Um, we like all that. know the space that Giannis creates for the people around him. Uh, Middleton, Brogdon, Miritich, Lopez, they were jacking up threes all year. They were shooting the most threes in the NBA. And if you can get this type of kid off the bench, uh, they wanted Tony Snell to be that type of shooter, and Tony Snell was just brutal all year for them. But if you can get a reliable three-point shooter coming off the bench with Giannis, who can also defend at the other level, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I like I like that spot you picked for him. That's That sounds like a, a reasonable spot. Something we've talked about before is that it's actually really tough to find high-impact rookies late in the draft, meaning like successful players. Not that they can't develop, but I'm saying year one, play on a championship team. He sounds like he would be ready based off him being a four-year senior. Good to know. Thanks for that tidbit. Uh, now I want to talk. Right. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the bust of the draft. Who's your bust? I'm not going to say Zion's a bust just because I don't think he'll live up to expectations. He he will be a very good player. My bust that I'm confident in calling is Nasir Little. I watched him this year at Carolina. I see nothing that I enjoy about this player. He's one of those guys where he's just he's shot up the boards just because of hype just because of his length, just because of, at the end of the day, I want to see some results in college. He averaged less than 10 a game. He like he wasn't getting real minutes for Carolina. Um, I just don't like this player. Who's your bust? Ready for this? We touched on him last week in the Monday mailbag. My bust in this year's draft is Jarrett Culver. Really? Um, I don't think he's, his size and strength will – will help him in the NBA um, to the point where he's able to create his primary, create his own shot off the dribble. Um, he doesn't have that great of handles. He was, a, he came onto the scene very abruptly at Texas tech. Uh, and is that a, a one and done type thing? Maybe I think so, but people are comparing him to Jimmy Butler uh, with that type of score. And I just don't see that kind of dog in him. Like Jimmy Butler's a player who can go out put the ball on the floor and get to the bucket on maybe any defender in the NBA, but he also has a shaky jump shot. I just don't think Jarrett Culver can produce at that type of level and make up for it with his jump shot, which is a little bit skeptical. Uh, He's projected to go top five, maybe six, depending on what trade happens with number four, if the Pelicans stay there. But I just don't think he's going to be a guy that can come in and give you a lot of points for a team that's struggling and, that's who I'm taking as my bus this year. Um, I didn't watch a lot of him at Texas Tech. Most of my film has been YouTube in the past weeks. Um, don't knock YouTube. I do a lot yeah, of my learning on there. Great. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'm not a fan of Jared Culver I'm at not- all. I don't think he has the frame. He's under 200 pounds. I think he'll get bullied around the perimeter and even when he takes it to the hole with other bigs. So I'm not I'm not expecting big things. I hope I'm wrong. Actually, I, I don't care if I'm wrong. <laughs> It all depends on the situation he goes to. 
Um, if he gets taken at four to the Pelicans, maybe I'll root for him because I like that team with Alonzo and Zion. But I don't really care if he goes to Cleveland. I'm going to ride the whole bus train then. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't want to. I don't think New Orleans is a great fit for him. I don't love him. The guy actually projected right behind him, DeAndre Hunter. I I almost picked as my bus. I don't see a lot of potential in Hunter. Uh, just nothing really excites me about his game. I'm a big DeAndre Hunter fan. Like really? I said, I'm just huge on these three and D guys in today's NBA. Yeah. He's long. He's big. He can switch on everything on defense. And if he just becomes a reliable jump shooter, just put him in the corner and then he'll do what he needs to do on the defensive end. Can he be the number one guy on a team? I don't know about that, but I'm not going to go ahead and call him a bust. Yeah, that's fair. We'll see. I think DeAndre will be out of the league before Culver. I also agree that it would just be bad news if New Orleans missed at four. Um, because of what they just gave up in Davis. But let's go to the point guards, because you brought up an interesting point about how you kind of like Garland, potentially more than Moran if he hadn't got hurt. But there's also two other names right below them in Kobe White out of UNC, and also one that people might not know in uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Vatek, who, who may have been better than well garland didn't play but he he was up there he led a really good virginia tech team if they hadn't ran into duke in the tournament i actually thought they would have gone pretty far so tell me why you like garland over them and i'll touch on the other two garland is one of my favorite players in this draft um a little background for the people that don't know he suffered a season-ending injury in the beginning of the year at the university of vanderbilt they ended up going 0-18 in the SEC. Their Did coach really? got fired. But if you watch this kid in high school, he has unbelievable playmaking ability. He was that type of kid that if he would have came into Vanderbilt, he would have had that Trey Young effect to the point where he's a perimeter scorer, can pull up from 30 feet. He can pump fake you from the logo and beat you off the dribble and go to the cup and finish at the hole. I think I really want to see him go to Phoenix at six and be in the backcourt with Devin Booker, because I think that could be a very, very fun backcourt. I'm not going to go as far to say the Splash Brothers, but just know I'm thinking it. (laughs) I like that. I mean, Garland, it's tough. He didn't play a lot of high-level competition. The four games he played in at Vandy were against, you know, those those off-the-cusp teams. But yet, John Morant's your rookie of the year. Yeah, no, I think Morant's better than Garland for sure. I think Garland's going to be really good. I like the Trey Young comparison. I think he has very nice range. The other two guys, Kobe White also has nice range, pulls it, pulls has a very quick trigger, scored a lot of points in his one year at UNC. I'm not a huge fan. He seems a bit undersized. I am a huge fan of Kobe White. Hey, this is the best part. They have him listed six four seven five. I'm a six five. Like, do they did they put down the afro for that? I believe they did, but I didn't. I don't see him as six five. I thought he was like six two. He plays small. He can finish nice around the rim, but I don't see him as like a tall point guard. Kobe White is the definition of a dog. When he has <laughs> the ball, he is not afraid of anything. He is one of the quicker triggers in this draft class. He can shoot from anywhere on the court. He's got unbelievable finishing ability. I think Kobe White is going to thrive in an NBA offense with this spacing. Not to mention, he's probably one of the fastest players in this draft, similar to like a De'Aaron Fox or a John Wall. I think his the sky is the limit for that kid, especially with his scoring ability inside and out. So the last guy I mentioned, Nikhil Alexander-Walker out of Vatek, 
I think he so Ivan projected to Boston at 14. Uh, he was 16, four and four, shot 37% from three, 78% from the line. Really good player, averaged two steals a game. He's not going to be like your star point guard, but if he goes to Boston and backs up Rozier, I think that's like a very small drop off. Maybe not his rookie year, but after a year and a half in the league, I really like him. Uh, so we'll see what he turns into in the pros. Um, let's kind of talk about what you're most excited about for Thursday's draft. I think you just touched on it a little bit with that. I'm very excited to see what that idiot Danny Ainge has rolled up his sleeve. Um, a lot has been said in the news recently about Boston with Kyrie most likely leaving. And now in the last 24 hours, we're hearing Al Horford is going to leave them. And where does that leave them? That leaves them with Tatum, Brown, Hayward, and a couple free agents in Rozier and, and Rozier. Uh, Marcus Morris. So I'm very interested to see what they do. They have three first-round picks that they've that they've acquired over the years through trade. Um, not very great picks. What is it? It's like 14 and then two in the mid-20s, I believe. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if you see them move up in the draft and see what Danny Ainge can do, whether it's move up in the draft with those picks or go out and take those – three picks or two of them and package them for another guy who's experienced in the league who can come in and still have an impact with these young players. But Boston's in that very limbo situation right now where they don't know what their identity is because they have a bunch of young stars or whatever you want to call Jalen Brown. I think we can both agree Jason Tatum is poised to be a star in this league. But to see if they're going to go the tanking route and with the young talent or still try and cash in and and bank on making long playoffs run with this core, as well as one more player that they can bring in. I mean, you saw it two years ago. They Kyrie went down, they didn't have Gordon Hayward, and they were a game away from the NBA Finals. Um, so who knows if it'll be for the better. I think Al Horford's going to be a huge loss for them. And I that's goes into what else I'm very excited for in this draft, because I think they're going to take him around 20, and that's Bull Bull. The best name in the last decade, first off. And one of the more interesting players, um, we saw him go down early for the year with a foot injury at Oregon, but before that he was averaging 21 and 10. He's a seven foot two and a half center. Who's a slim 208 pounds. I think I saw something today that he weighs eight more pounds than Carson Edwards, but has 14 inches on him. So that makes me skeptical to believe how he can handle bigs in the post. But this guy has like, Chris Stapp's Porzingis skills where you don't understand how a guy, his height is doing the things he's doing with the basketball. He can keep the ball in the strings. He can do these flashy dunks. He can shoot from the outside. He'll probably be one of the best shot blockers in the league right away, obviously in this draft class. And I think that's a very interesting place for him at, at 20 for Boston. But I've seen this kid mocked anywhere from eight to 25. It's just a matter of what you think about this toothpick of a center. I mean, if they got Nikhil, they got Bull Bull, and then if like someone like Tyler Hero fell to them, that would be a really fun draft for Boston. Yeah, but what do you need? What do you need all those very very young players with? Like, you're gonna throw those three rookies in with I mean, Tatum and just develop them? Yeah, I mean that's that's what you need to do. I don't you know. In my opinion, you got to pack. What do you want them to do? I, in my opinion, you got to package those picks and go get a, a player who's already established in the league. Um, if Kawhi leaves, the East is going to weaken even more. 
Who knows what's going to happen here in Philadelphia? I pray every night, but you just don't know. The East could be as bad as it was when LeBron was running through the Roy Hibbert Pacers. But they next could year. still sign um, someone. Like draft picks aren't that expensive. Oh, so we're going to go through that whole summer that we go through every year where in October we hear how close Danny Ainge was to signing all these max nah, players. I, all these stories come out how he was, oh, I was right there to signing them. Danny Ainge is brutal, and it's all backfiring in his face right now. I don't know why you hit him so much. I don't know what he did to you. I It, it personally wouldn't bother me if there was another GM, GM in the league who was constantly messing up. So I don't know what he did to you and your family, but – uh, the thing I'm most excited about is what I get excited about for every NBA draft. And that's like when the college heroes are picked and who they're picked by. And just like to see people like Romeo Langford. I'll read off a bunch of names. Tyler Hero, Carson Edwards, like Ty Jerome. He was on the championship team. Cam Johnson, who I'm high on. Uh, Matthias Teibel out of Washington. Like these college guys who just like you root for them. You've rooted for them for years in college and it's always fun to see where they turn out versus like these random people at the end of the draft who you've never really heard of so uh and you know we're high on Carson and Cam so there are quality players at the end of the draft but I'm just I always just get excited to see that wait that just reminded me you know what I'm really excited for so the the Lakers Pelicans trade it's definitely not official right it won't be till I think the sixth so that means whoever goes at number four is going to be handed a Lakers hat (laughs) Uh, is, that, is that what's going to happen? Because I love wait, that. that. I love the whole. I love the whole long hat thing. That is, where they just put this hat on and they know. Wait, this just isn't my team. That, I did not even think about that. That's an excellent point. I am not. That's always. That's always fun. Is that? Is that what will happen? I mean, the trade hasn't gone through, so technically, I mean, you look at all the the mock drafts and it say the Pelicans own the four pick, but if the trade hasn't gone through, I mean, I know you're this conspiracy theorist that says the trade isn't going to go through. But if it hasn't gone through, then why aren't the Lakers picking at four? I'm going to assume they're picking for the Pelicans. Yeah, that is going to be hysterical. I hope it's true. That'll be great content. Yeah, I'd love to see a Laker hat on whoever goes for The last player I want to touch on before we go into the Mike Conley trade is Jackson Hayes, a big man from my alma mater, University of Texas. Average 10 and 5, went down with an injury this year. Super athletic, didn't start focusing on basketball till his senior year. He actually has a, a football catch that's like Odell-esque, but it, he's mossing someone. He's really talented, has soft hands, uh, high athleticism. I just wanted to give him a shout. I've heard good things about him. I've heard uh, he's inexperienced. He's like 18 years old. You have to expect that. He's 19 years old. You have to expect that from him. But I'm excited to see him in the league. Another good, hopeful big man from Texas. I mean, we're getting to the point where it's Miles Turner, then it was Jared Allen, Bamba, and now Jackson. And it's so sad that we haven't had – we didn't win a tournament game in the past five years. We didn't win one while I was at school. And we've had these lottery pick centers, which definitely says something about our coaching and athletic department. That reminds me. That reminds me. You just touched on how Texas didn't win a tournament game. I remember – in school watching with my buddy Mike Trudeau. Shout out Trudeau, who had a very healthy bet on Texas over Nevada in the first round. That game ended up going to overtime. And I think Mo Bamba fouled out and Trudeau was yelling obscene things at the television. That's just a nice flashback I had. We, so 
the two tournament games we did go to, we blew a 15-point lead to Damada in the second half to the Martin Twins and the game you just mentioned. The other one, we lost on a half-court buzzer beater to Northern Iowa. So not only did we not win a single tournament game, but we lost them in the most excruciating fashion. You love to see that. You love to see that. Wow, we just got some breaking news after we recorded the pod. So we're going to have our producer, Charlie, shout out Charlie, insert this. We're going to do a little time travel on the pod. But just to start it off, Kyrie Irving, or rather the Nets, are now concerned about bringing in Kyrie unless he can bring Durant with him, which is especially strange because we know Durant's coming off the Achilles. I've always said that uh, Kyrie doesn't seem like that big of an upgrade over D'Lo. I like Kyrie a lot more than him. But it didn't make sense to leave that situation in Boston with much more talent. Kyrie's proven after a year and a half in Boston that he can't lead a championship team by himself. So it makes sense for the Nets to do that. And LOL to all of you trolls who have sent me every single message and every photoshopped picture of Kyrie Irving in a Nets jersey. He's coming to the Knicks. We're so back. And this is the greatest moment ever. Stop. I mean, first off, who the hell can blame the Nets? Um, you pointed on it before, like Kyrie is not going to be the one on a championship team. We saw that this year with Boston. They came in with championship aspirations and it blew up in their face. Uh, so first off, I don't blame the Nets for doing this, but to say he's going to go to the Knicks is utter blasphemy. Um, I think if anything, this lens, if if anything, this lends to him going back to Boston and staying put or or pairing up with Papa bear out there in LA and running it back with LeBron and the crew, which is what I'm going to vote for. Um, I've said it the entire time. In my opinion, I think Kyrie should take a two, two-year two contract with a third-year player option in L.A. with a little less money to work with that cap that Anthony Davis screwed them over in being a selfish prick and picking up his trade option of, what is it, $4 million? Yeah. Yeah, so I think Kyrie should do himself a favor, go out to L.A., do a two-for-one, opt out in the third year, and then cash in. At that point, he'll have three rings because, yes, I'll guarantee two rings. And <laughs> it'll just be the smartest thing for his career. He has to take a step back and first realize that the earth is not flat. And then look himself in the mirror and say, I cannot be the one on a championship team. He just He's probably the, one of the most skilled, given his lack of athleticism, that we've ever seen and what he can do with the basketball. But that can't override the fact that he's not this superior freak of nature athlete and he's cannot be the number one on a championship team. So I don't blame Brooklyn. I think you keep that core intact. Uh, you develop them. You maybe bring in another guy and maybe cash in next year on a free agent, but I don't blame them at all. Kyrie, do yourself a favor, go to LA, listen to what daddy's telling you. Stop with the LA stuff. Kyrie. All right. He's not going to Boston. If he's out on the nets, he could consider L.A., but I don't – he left that situation. He wants his own thing, and where better can he do that is Madison Square Garden with Durant out for a year. Durant comes back. Then he's on a championship team. He gets – it's two birds, one stone. Kyrie, I will see you from Section 106 in Madison Square Garden next season. All right, let's talk Mike Conley trade. Conley was swapped for some combination of Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, LOL, People love Grayson. I don't know why. Um, Corver and the 23rd pick and then like a protected one the next year. Uh, thoughts on thoughts on the trade? I think it's great for both teams. Um, Mike Conley's pairing up with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. 
uh, in Utah, and I think that team can shock a lot of people. I would like to see them dish away that $16 million that Derek Favors is getting paid this year and go out and maybe get another free agent. Uh, We know Rubio won't be back, but Conley and Gobert are two of the most elite defenders at their position. Uh, Quinn Snyder was a coach of the year candidate two years ago who prides himself on their defense. Uh, You got Conley with a guy like Joe Ingles and people always are talking about how, Oh, Mike Conley has a bad contract. That was years ago. The guy's 31 just came off averaging around, I think it was 21 points per game and probably his best year in his career who still can play at an elite level. And it's just a matter of, like I said before, putting him in the right situations. And I think that you put him in Utah. He's got another score that he could defer to. He's got the big man down low that he can run a pick and roll with. And they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially with Ingles on the perimeter. Now, in regards to Memphis, I mean, they're doing everything they can to stock up for the future. They're going to take Ja. They've got uh, Jaron Jackson down there, who's a great young player. And they're just stocking up on more picks. Uh, We'll see what they do with this pick that they just got from Utah. I think it was in the 20s. 23rd. 23rd. So, yeah, they're doing all the right things for a young team, just trying to build from the ground up. I mean, Jaw's going to be their one guy, and now they just got to go and build around him. It's going to be hard to attract free agents to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, barbecue food aside. But I I love this deal for both. We've heard about Conley rumored to Utah since the trade deadline last year. And I've been a big fan of Mike Conley his entire career. Um, He made some noise in the playoffs with that grit and grind team in Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, and Marcus Gasol. But we all know that team was never winning anything. And I think he's going to a good situation. I'm excited for him. I think that people are underrating this move. He's a huge pickup. Like People like Ricky Rubio, but we talk about this all the time. And if you can't score in the league, you're kind of one-dimensional. But their their starting five is going to limit teams. Like it's just going to be a disgusting starting five defensively between Conley, Donovan, Ingles, Favors, and Gobert. And then they have town on the bench. Royce O'Neal's a solid player. Exum's a solid player. And they still have space to sign shooters like someone like Seth Curry, someone like Miritich. So in a down year in the West, like we've talked about with the Warriors and a lot of pretenders out there. Do they make a big move at the deadline and really like swap favors for a superstar or swap Ingles for a superstar? The the Jazz could be in what in what universe is Derek Favors getting swapped for a superstar? I mean, favors you send picks away, a pick they just got, for example, and Exum, who was a top, you know, lottery pick, you sent like there's we've seen trades that don't make sense before for super Yeah, you're talking about one of them right I, now. I'm not talking about like a superstar like top of the line but like i don't know i'll i'll come up with someone for you it just would not shock me if the jazz go far they've owned the uh the thunder and stuff so i think it's a good move for the jazz for the pelicans they're kind of in no man's land the grizzlies the grizzlies sorry yes the grizzlies they're in no man's land john morant will be great jaron jackson shows promise but you, you just need players and they've just had a tough run since since their strong days with gasol and Zeba. Yeah, I mean, in Memphis, you're not really going to have many expectations out the gate. We think they'll be in a lottery position like they are now next year. But now in Utah, the pressure's on a little bit. Um, You've shown you can win a playoff series, and that was before you added Mike Conley. So now you got to be thinking 
Western Conference Finals, and now that we see Clay and KD um, down for most likely the entire entirety of next season, the West is as wide open as it gets, and now it's just who's going to pick up the baton. All right, before we sign off, bold predictions for the NBA draft. I'll start, and mine is that it's not. I guess it's not that bold if I can't name it, but I think something crazy is going to go down tonight. Uh, for the draft I don't know what it is it might not even be related to the draft but it feels like you know that there was a lot of hype and you talked about it how the the AD trade only let the Raptors be champions for like 36 hours but it just seems like everything's been quiet there's been no Kyrie news like Jimmy Butler news is quiet KD all of it so I think we're gonna get something exciting maybe it's more hopeful than true but that's my prediction is there will be some big big news on NBA draft night yeah I mean I don't hate that uh like I said there's two teams with three first round picks in Atlanta and Boston the Pelicans are rumored to dish that number four and I mean it's draft night we've seen crazier things was it last year or two years ago is when Jimmy Butler got dealt to Minnesota um that kind of shook up the the night but yeah Usually after pick 10, the stories are more of what's going on around the league, not who's getting drafted. But should be a good night. Everyone's saying it's a weak class, but hey, it's a weak class until proven otherwise. We've seen the Raptors are a team who didn't have a lottery pick, who just went on to win the championship. And you can't sleep on these guys that are getting picked out of the lottery. Uh, They've got a lot to prove, and you never know what you're going to get with this draft class. Yeah, the weak draft thing is more about it being top heavy. In a weak draft, you find the value in the late round, so or the later of the first round. So I'm excited to see where those uh, college heroes get drafted. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed our NBA draft pod. Please like, subscribe, five stars, do whatever to just get us some some nice listens. Share with your friends. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. And we want to hear your thoughts. So go follow RS Pod on Instagram. Make sure we're going to post some stuff there so that we can open the discussion so you guys have a voice. Because as you know, we're the People's Podcast. We do it all for you guys. And we want your voice to be heard. So RS Pod on Instagram. Uh, shoot me replies, DMs on my Snap. Thank you guys for listening from Real Underscore Sports, a Snapchat sports podcast. Thank you guys for listening and have a great day. Bye.